I'm ready. I want to be an eight cow wife. That was awesome. I was like, it made eight cows for her. It's so beautiful. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've heard a couple of, uh, when Sarah said this, it resonated with me that the idea of honor in our culture is a little bit outdated. We don't know exactly what that means or what to make of it. Um, and honestly, the last cultural reference I could find to honor in our society was on the soundtrack of Karate Kid 2. In the song Glory of Love by Peter Cetera, which is, um, I am a man who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero that you're dreaming of. If you know it, sing it. Gonna live forever, knowing together that we did it all for the glory of Now, how do we know that? And I can't, like, that is literally from 1996. I cannot remember my children's names, but I know the lyrics to a 20-year-old song from Karate Kid 2. Yes, it's awesome, isn't it? And exactly, and he says, I am a man who will fight for your honor, but it's Ralph Macchio, and it's called the Karate Kid. It's not called the Karate Man. So how is that relevant? I don't understand how that works. These are the things that trouble me. This is what's wrong with our society today. But I think a lot of times we think about honor and we think about the guy coming and rescuing me and fighting for my honor, and I imagine sword play and swooning and towers and little um, woodland creatures doing all of the chores and everything. Don't you? Like, you know, swords and everything. And um, then, you know, he'd be like, I, he would hand you like a, like a handkerchief. I would be honored for you to wipe your nose with my handkerchief, things like that, and it's just not that way. Somewhere along the way, somebody forgot to tell us that we may be the ones who rescue our spouse. We may be the one who fights the powers of hell itself to save our marriage. We may be the one that ends up fighting for someone else's honor and not the other way around. And we are called not to just fight for them, But then after the battle is done, we're still called to love them and honor them and to forgive them fully and to respect them, to protect protect their dignity inside and outside the walls of our home, and that's what honor looks like. And when Paul was writing the book of Romans, he was teaching Christians at that time what their lives should look like. And a huge part of what he talks about in Romans 12, which is where we pull the verse uh, for this month, is honor. Paul is such a practical guy, and a lot of times it's easy to read things but not know how to actually put those things into action. So I love that he's practical, and he gives us some ways to do this. So when Paul is writing in these passages in Romans 12, he, this is kind of what I've taken from it, but it's four things. Honor requires sacrifice, and this is all in your book. Um, if you have your little magazines, I think it's page 8. Honor requires sacrifice, honor requires transformation, honor requires humility, and honor requires love. So let's start with sacrifice. And the very first verse, Paul knocks us between the eyes with this. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And I know what you're thinking, right? When you hear living sacrifice, you're like, oh, great. That's great, Paul. What am I going to do? Just climb up and lay myself on the altar? Yes. That's exactly what that means. That's exactly what he's telling us to do, to give over our entire selves, our hopes, our dreams, our agendas, everything to Jesus over and over and over Every day as we make those two lunches and four snacks that we know our kids won't eat, as we fold the laundry that our children wore on their bodies for three minutes and put in the dirty clothes, as we pick up the towel off the bathroom floor for the seven millionth time that day, that's what he's talking about. Presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, and it's, it's, there, it's not a glamorous thing. It's day to day. And that's what happens a lot of times in marriage. You, you come into marriage, at least I did, I came into marriage with an idea. I don't even know what the idea was. I just knew it wasn't what it turned out to be. I didn't really even know what I was expecting, but it was not this. And like if someone said, well, what were you expecting? I'd have been like, I don't know, but it isn't this. You know, it's just so daily and bad. Bills and dirt and snot and kids and ugh. So let's back up a little bit when we talk about sacrifice. If you remember in the Old Testament, in order to um, present a way for forgiveness, this is before Jesus came to earth, they would offer a literal physical sacrifice, right? And they would do that in order to, as a symbol to offer repentance before God. They had a literal sacrifice. But I love what God talks to his people about all the time, even throughout the Old Testament. In Hosea 6.6, he's talking to them about the sacrifices they make, and he says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. So when Jesus is asking us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, what he's looking for, girls, isn't how neat our house is or all these external things. What Jesus wants is right there. He wants our love, and he wants us to know him. That is what making your life a living sacrifice looks like. When we chase after him, his desires become our desires. He changes everything about us. He changes our outlet and our, our outlook and our perspective. And so I want to encourage you because sacrifice is hard, and you're right. There, there's a lot of stuff that we do that nobody sees or appreciates, and, and there's a part of us that longs for that, right? Right? There's a part of us that wants someone to come up and go, that is the nicest linen closet I have ever seen, Mom. I don't know how you fold those towels that would be. I'm just, it's just beautiful, okay? Can we just take a picture in front of it together, Mom? And it just doesn't happen, right? You go in and, like, all the towels are on the floor in, like, three seconds. And it's so rewarding. It makes you really glad that you did that. I'm not bitter. I'm just telling you that. Um but it's true. So it's sacrificing all of these other things, but it's, for, it's not just sacrificing to sacrifice. It's sacrificing it for something bigger than ourselves. 
And when we constant, you know, when you when you look back in history and you you hear about people that make these incredible sacrifices in times of war, what was it that drove them to that? Why would they willingly give up everything else and go and fight and lose their lives, so many of them? It's because they had in mind the entire time that there was something bigger than themselves. They were fighting for something bigger than themselves. And let me tell you, when you honor through sacrifice, you are fighting for something bigger than yourselves. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting a spiritual battle, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So that's one, is honor requires sacrifice. And then two, honor requires transformation. So to become that person that willingly climbs up on that altar and lays themselves down day after day as a living sacrifice requires us to be transformed, to be changed in the way we view everything, including ourselves. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed by this to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What does that mean? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. To have a mind that is transformed means to have a mind that is filled with God's word. I'm going to tell you, my friends, this right here is the greatest treasure outside of salvation that you will ever have. We have ready access every second of every day to the heart of God. He's written this down for us so that we would understand the great story that he has told since the beginning of time. And so, in order for this to transform us, we have to be all about it. We have to be filling our hearts and our minds and the hearts and minds of our families with this more than anything else. Transformation is a complete change in every way possible. What transforms us? What is it that we are renewing our minds with day after day? Is it politics? Is it Facebook? Is it Pinterest? Is it Instagram? Is it texting constantly? Do we, do we pray about stuff as much as we talk about stuff with people? All of those things matter. We have to be filling ourselves up all the time. And I know that it's easy for me to stand up there and say, oh, just read the Bible. And I know some of you sit out there and go, I I don't even know what it means. It just doesn't make sense. I open it. It doesn't make any sense. If that is the case, tell us that. And we will walk you through and help you to understand there's a whole bunch of ladies in this room that would love to take you by the hand and sit down and have coffee with you and help shepherd and guide you so you know how to read it, what it's talking about, the big picture stuff. Um, So that's number two is transformation. And I have seen in my own life the transformation that God has made in my mom's life. My mother was severely abused in about every way you can think of growing up for years and years. And she's one of those people that I look at and think it's a miracle she's in her right mind. And not only is she in her right mind, Her mind is filled with God's word. It's just what comes out of her all the time. So I have a testimony in the form of my mother 
that God's word is transformational. And I want to encourage you with that. When we fill ourselves up with that, it pushes all the other junk out of there. It fills us up with something beside ourselves. And when I become full of God's word, it changes how I look at everything around me. I'm more aware of what Jesus is calling me to do. And I'm quicker to show honor. It changes everything about my agenda and what I think is important. And instead, it becomes Christ-focused. So, that's number two. Honor requires transformation. And then number three is honor requires humility. Ooh, that one's a tough one. It says in verse 10, love, love one another with brotherly affection. This is Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. <laughs> When's the last time you did that? When's the last time? Kids, stop fighting over who's going to honor each other more. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's happening so much. Um, but that's it. Practical application. Not only are we supposed to love each other, but we're supposed to outdo each other while we're at it. Now, that doesn't mean so we can post on social media how honoring we are, right? It doesn't mean that we go and tell everybody, hey, I honored three more people than I did yesterday. No, 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 no. This is about this relationship. When you are filled up with what he wants you to be filled with, it's just natural. Now, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's easy, does it? Sometimes it requires work. Sometimes you're tired. And you have to humble yourselves. I saw this great shirt, and I can't use the exact word that it used, but all you'll get the idea. But it said, Mother Teresa wasn't worried about how her thighs looked. She had stuff to do. Didn't say stuff. But I loved that they said, because it's true, that woman emptied herself out and walked in humility and gave up her life for other people, and that's humility. Now, let me say something about humility. That's not the same as false humility, which really gets on my nerves. Like when you go up to someone and you go, oh, my goodness, you look so pretty today. Oh, die. I hate this shirt. It's just so, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm really glad I said you look nice today. Or, you know, the pr- people that walk around and just are always trying to tell how unworthy they are of everything. Well, just so you know, and I know this is going to be harsh, but here it is. That type of humility is backdoor pride. That's taking away from people the gift that they're trying to give you when they reach out to hand you this gift of a compliment. You accept the gift. Humility is also not the same as shame. That's not what Christ called us to at all. Humility is life-giving, and shame is soul-sucking. And there is a huge difference. When Jesus walked the earth, he walked in humility. He did not walk in shame. When he called you to be his daughters, he is calling you to walk in humility, not in shame. If you walk around and feel shame all the time, we need to talk about that, because that's not what Jesus has for us as his daughters. Humility is to understand our position as we stand in front of a holy, righteous God. So to honor him with humility means to understand who he is 
and who he has called us to be because of him in us. Like Isaiah said when he stood there before the throne in Isaiah 6, he stands there and he has his vision, and it's of God on the throne, and his train fills the temple, and he's just overwhelmed by it, and he starts weeping and crying, and he says, I am undone. Now, Christ doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us weeping and crying and saying we're undone. He then takes us, and he himself, through the power of his Holy Spirit, puts us together in who he wants us to be. Humility is required, girls, within the walls of our marriage. It is to not always fight for what we think is right. It is to not always try to get the last word in. It is to let other people fold towels in the way that we might not like. It is. It is the way, it is to let others load the dishwasher and not go behind them and fix everything they do. It is to quit mothering our spouses. Humility is to understand that there is a God and he loves our husband far more than we do and he created him in his image and he will teach our husbands what they need to know when they need to know it. And that's hard in day-to-day life. Now, does that mean we never say anything about anything? No, duh. We still sometimes have to speak up or do things. But it means that there are some things that you kind of look at and go, is this a a hill worth dying on? Is this this what I want my marriage to be about is how the towels are folded? Is this what I want my marriage to be about where he parks in the driveway? It's not it. So to honor, let's back up a little bit, requires sacrifice, transformation, Humility, and then lastly, love. And I ended with that one. It seems like it would be a no-brainer to say that. <clears throat> but I want to talk about this one. The last, in Romans twelve twenty one, it says, overcome evil with good. And boy, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Like, because there's evil out there, and we're going to, because we love Jesus, we're going to overcome that. We, how do you do that in your home? How do you do that when you're in a season where things don't seem good in your marriage? Or when you have a kid that's in rebellion and you and your husband can't get on the same page about how to handle it? Or the scenarios can get darker and darker. So what does overcoming evil with good look like? A lot of times overcome overcome evil with good means we forgive things, big things, huge things. Marriage vow breaking things. But what does that look like? How do you do that? Sometimes we forgive them for big, huge things more than once. This is it. This is where it gets really hard. Can we love our spouse like Jesus loves them? Now, I want to explain right here what I'm not saying, and that is you don't stay in something that's unhealthy or abusive or anything like that. You get the help you need. But what I am saying is godly honor is more than just allowing ourselves to be some kind of spiritual doormat. That's not what I'm talking about. Godly honor doesn't look like that. It looks like Jesus. 
And sometimes that means we do have to do hard things in our marriage. But I want to say that in your marriage, to honor, to truly honor, means you got to fight for your marriage, ladies. you got to be all about loving and protecting your husband. And I don't mean following your husband around, waiting for him to screw up. I mean being his wing woman so that when he's struggling, you're next to him, not going, see, I knew you were going to struggle with that again, but saying, I love you. How can I help you? How can I pray for you today? To change out of the clothing of aggression and disapproval and instead put on righteousness and patience and love and compassion and ask God what he needs to teach you, how he needs to work on your heart to love your husband the way he's called you to love him. That's hard stuff. That is really hard stuff. And I want to tell you one last thing. We talk about all these things, and especially that overcoming evil with good scripture and the honor, um, how, to, how that works in honoring people. Um, but when the Bible speaks about things that are difficult or, or struggles, it never says you might have some problems. And I love that when Vicki talked about Nehemiah, she talked about all of the struggles that they had. Because I don't know about you, but I have a hard time sometimes. Marriage is hard. Life is hard. Parenting is hard. Anybody else? Anybody else just really tired some days? Anybody else just want to like run away sometimes? <laughs> I got to go to Target for three weeks. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was the Target in Oregon. They have the best textiles there. But if we don't understand the concept that this world is going to be hard and we can't get through our hearts and minds that we have an enemy that wants to destroy our families, we're going to always be taken by surprise. We're going to be like, how could that happen? And God's going, read it, it's in here. So I want you guys to dive deep. If you need help diving deep into the Word of God, let us know. I really hurt my forehead when I did that. (sighs) All right, but don't wait anymore to figure out what you need to do to know Jesus more and his Word more so that you can honor others well in your family and especially on this topic in your marriage. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we believe that you've called us to this thing, this mission. Father, that mission is marriage. And, and so, Father, we, we ask, first of all, that you would be the center of our marriage, that you would be our source of joy, our source of peace, that we would look to you, not our husbands, to complete us. That we would look to you, not our husbands, for every single thing that we need to become a daughter of the Most High God. Lord, we pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire to know you and to know your word and to somehow, in the midst of this world that is exhausting and demanding, that we would find our anchor and our peace and our 
refuge from the storm as we sit down with you and hear your heart through your word that you've given us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these women sitting in this room, each one with their own incredible, tragic, and beautiful stories. Father, I pray that you would be very present with them. We know you're here. We know that we don't have to ask you to be here. But, Father, I pray that you would give these ladies the eyes to see you. And, Father, I pray for these women, especially the ones that walk around in shame, feeling like they are nothing or they are worthless or they're sin, all those things, Father. I pray that once and for all, your voice would be the loudest voice they hear and that they would no longer hear the voice of shame. That is not the voice of Jesus, Lord. Free them from that. And Father, we come to you as women that struggle and can't do it without you. So Lord, help us. Teach us. Show us how to honor you and to honor our spouses. Because we cannot do it without you. In your precious, holy name we pray. Amen.